Welcome back to another episode of the QB Spotlight Podcast. As always, you can find the podcast at QB Spotlight on Twitter and newly to Underdog Dynasty. You can find the article version of this podcast at Underdog Dynasty. The article usually released on Tuesdays or Wednesdays, depending on how the guru, the man behind QB Spotlight himself, how his sleep schedule is going, how his work schedule is going. Uh, the guy I'm talking about is the one and only Stephen Hamner. Steve, fatherhood, what are we, a, a month in now? How's uh, how's it treating you, man? Yeah, I guess, what, three and a half weeks? So three far, so okay. good. So far, so far, I'm doing enough to uh, to keep him breathing. So uh, any any oh. fathers out there listening to the podcast, please send any advice. I'm open for anything. <laughs> Really quick, man, uh, before we jump into the podcast, we were talking a little bit off air. Uh, break down the schedule. Like, for you know, I, first off, for everyone who subscribes, listens to this podcast, we greatly appreciate it. And you can find that podcast at podcast.apple.com, search QB Spotlight. But uh, I want to kind of bring you inside. We do deep dives in the quarterbacks. We're going to do a deep dive into the Hamner household. <laughs> Steve, well, what's the schedule like for you all as uh, this thing is uh, coming, coming together? So, a typical schedule. Pre-kid, I, I wake up fairly early between the 4 and 5 a.m. because I usually have athletes that train in the morning. Uh, things have changed now. And I was telling Eric the 6.30 a.m., which is usually sleeping in for me, now feels like 4.30 a.m. So I'm lucky to get, you know, three to four hours of sleep. And then if I have, say, eight hours of work to do, it's going to take me two two days to complete it because of the, uh, the responsibilities I have as a father now, which is great. It's worth it. Um, so, but again, any advice, please send my way. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm all ears. I'm open to, to anything right now. <laughs> Fathers, please go ahead. You can uh, DM him at Stephen Hamner or at QB Spotlight. Uh, I don't know what our female audience is, but for whatever it may or may not be, we I'm sure Steve would love the input from the from the, uh, the, the women as well. Um, you yeah, know, I'll, any, I'll, any, I'll <laughs> exactly, exactly. Uh, really quick before we get started, I'll apologize for my hiatus. I was dealing with some wisdom tooth issues. Glad to have that all squared away. That is a, a story in itself. We'll save that for another podcast. But without further ado, we are about five minutes in. So let's go ahead and jump into the spotlight. Uh, we're going to go in depth on a couple guys here. Definitely want to go in depth on the shootout. Brady White, Dylan Gabriel. That was a heck of a game. Unfortunately for this UCF night, the game turned out the way it did. But hey, it's still, still fun to watch a shootout, fun to watch two quarterbacks duel it out. Uh, Jason Bean, he made and it definitely made an impression against Middle Tennessee. I will definitely be wanting to get Steve's thoughts on that. You know, it was a great performance, but granted, it came against Middle Tennessee's defense that had trouble stopping many people, as North Texas did as well. They just managed to show up for the second half. But let's go ahead, Steve, and start here with the American. Before we get to UCF and Memphis, uh, I just kind of want to talk about your overall thoughts, man. Um, we got, uh, you know, the SMU game, Tulane, USF Temple. I think I want to start with uh, USF a little bit. Uh, that quarterback situation, saw USF Twitter was a little bit kind of, I don't want to say up in arms, but I, I I think some of the bull fandom, so to speak, feel that Jordan McLeod isn't necessarily given being given the uh, the fair shot, and they think that he's the best option. So, really quick, man, what did you see from Jordan McLeod? Yeah, I thought I thought this was probably his best performance uh, so far, and it was. I think if you're a Bulls fan, you gotta be uh, you gotta be encouraged because they end up what losing by two points, I believe, to a Temple team that's pretty good, and Temple's got a pretty good quarterback themselves, but. Uh, so, so I think if you're a USF fan, you got to think about it this way. A few weeks ago, you you're, you had three quarterbacks that combined for five interceptions. Um, I, I forget exactly who they were playing. Eric, you might remember it was the game before ECU. Um, so they, they, they combined for five interceptions. 
and now Jordan McLeod's playing a cleaner game. Uh, you, they have they, they're within you know two points to win the game, and there's obviously no moral victories here. But I think I think you found I think USF found their quarterback here. Uh, you know, McLeod was somewhat inexperienced last year. You know, he, he was able to, to start uh, you know midway or uh, towards the beginning of the season and kind of kind of get his feet wet. But he I think he's shown he's more just a runner. He's getting more comfortable. And again, this is a new offense, new coaching staff. So I think USF can take some pauses from this loss. You know, I know they, they want to see a win. Um, so that's kind of what I got in the U- USF front. Were you able to catch any of this game? Eric, I know it was your, your, your arch rivals and the, the, the Bulls, but. No, I actually didn't catch much of the USF game because I was paying. I wanted to get my eyes, especially with it being a small slate. I wanted to get eyes on every conference USA game. So I, I was watching uh, the CUSA games in their entirety. But the game you're ref- you referring to for USF was Cincinnati. That was the rough game uh, right. that they had. Before we get to UCF Memphis, a guy who I find very interested to kind of talk about is uh, Michael Pratt from Tulane. Uh, yeah. He's a local. Well, I shouldn't say local. He's not uh, local to this area, but he's a Floridian, you know, from South Florida. And you can tell he's a good athlete. That was kind of the rap on him coming out. Didn't necessarily know if he'd be the guy immediately. Yet Keon Howard, the Southern Miss transfer, was there as well. But uh, yeah, really quick, just some quick thoughts on him before we transition to UCF Memphis, because I'm reading your notes here. Kind of, you kind of say it. There's something there, you know, and, and I, that's kind of the same thing that I took away from his play. And he's a young kid, he's a freshman, true freshman. Right. Yeah. Like if, if you were to look at the box score, you're probably going to be like, oh, OK, it's another uh, it's another subpar performance by a quarterback. However, they, they, you know, played SMU and Shane Bouchelle and, you know, one of the best quarterbacks in, in, uh, in the American. And they, you know, lost in overtime uh, the week before. I know U of H blew them out, but they were actually up early, largely thanks to the turnovers by U of H. But that was Michael Pratt's first start. And the week before that, or maybe it was two weeks before that, when they played Southern Miss, that's when Michael Pratt got put in for Keon Howard, I believe, and they scored 60-something on Southern Miss. So there's something there. He's got that, you know, that cliche it factor. He's a good athlete. He's only 12 to 29 passing uh, against SMU, so you definitely want to clean that up. That offense, though, um, traditionally, even looking back last year, Justin McMillan at quarterback, uh, the, the quarterbacks don't throw for a high completion uh, for a high uh, completion percentage for for whatever reason, um, but I think you know it's only his what his second start, true freshman, something there from Boca Raton, who is someone we actually QB spotlight broke down coming out of high school. So it, it, it's kind of a cool seeing it come around and seeing someone that we liked at the high school starting as a true freshman for a pretty good Tulane team uh, running that you know kind of option uh, kind of style of, of, of offense. Steve, UCF and Memphis definitely was a shootout, definitely a game that, you know, if it's one thing, and and I don't care whether you're a UCF fan or a fan of the American, I've found that UCF and essentially anybody, whether it's Memphis or it's Cincinnati or even USF prior to kind of the fall off, you know that that's going to be an entertaining ball game. Whenever they're on TV, you know, it, it, that offense is spectacular. And, and, and especially when UCF and Memphis get together. I mean, I, I remember watching the game and I was thinking, man, I'm glad I'm not covering this one because this is one that I, I would have no ability to get my game story done until the final whistle has been blown. Steve, Dylan Gabriel, 30, 35 of 49, 601, five TDs. Brady White, 34 of 50 for 486, six TDs. Memphis pulls off the upset, or maybe you call upset, maybe you won't, but the fact yeah. of the matter is they haven't beaten, or they hadn't beaten the Knights at the time since 1990. Yeah. Steve, I'll let you take it away. Uh, both quarterbacks, who do you want to start with? Man, yes, yeah, so I was going to actually ask you, how, how do you want to attack this thing? Because there's so many layers. Like, do we talk about the both defenses that, you know, were, were 
basically non-existent, you know, without being too blunt. If we talk about the, the stellar play, do you want to go one at a time? Or do you want to kind of go through the game and kind of how it, you know, transpired and how each quarterback, you know, uh, uh, kind of had their shot, you know, like Dylan Gabriel, they got up early, ready, white, climbed back. How, how do you want to attack this? What angle do you want to go out here? For the listeners, you clearly know how much show prep we do. <laughs> um, hey, Steve, why don't we do this? Why don't yeah. we have you talk about uh, both quarterbacks, what you uh, thought they did well, and then we can also kind of take the angle of, you know, maybe incorporating um, the, the defenses and, and the, as far as that's concerned. But I think, you know, with this being a QB Spotlight podcast, in particular, honestly, Steve, I was impressed with the play of both quarterbacks, specifically Brady White, because yeah. he's a guy who's been much maligned. You know, he is, first he was the game manager. Now he kind of looks to be a guy who, who you know, maybe won't be a first-round pick or anything like that, but he can lead this Memphis team. And Dylan Gabriel, I mean – is there pound for pound a better quarterback in the nation? I'm sorry. I mean, he's stuck. So I'll let you take away from that angle, Steve. No, yeah, no. Okay, so that, that, that's good. That's good. That's good. That gives us a, a runway. And like you said, so we'll have a more in-depth piece on Brady White coming out on Underdog Dynasty soon. But he's someone we've talked about in the pod who we're like, you know what? I don't even know if he's going to get drafted. He's a good American uh, conference quarterback, good college quarterback. But, man, he I thought he really elevated his game here. And the most impressive thing for me with Brady White was – one, DeMonte Coxie, Coxie, one of the best receivers in the American, if not all of college football, not playing. So that's a disadvantage there. Two, they get down early, 35-14, kind of like they got down early to SMU a few a few weeks ago. They clawed back in but couldn't get the win. And so I'm kind of thinking, okay, UCF is going to run away with it. Brady White might get a few more scores here and there. But, man, Brady White, you know, showed his composure, uh, uh, you know, led the team down and uh, ultimately came back and, and won. It was What was impressive to me – Besides this, his composure is just doing all the small things right. Of course, he had some big throws and, and big plays downfield, but I was impressed with with this how he ha- handled himself and you know down twenty one points, came back and won, and uh, and honestly his legs, you know, uh, moving out and, and escaping the pocket, throwing the run, especially the the game winning touchdown. It looks simple; it's a quick rollout pass, but there was a guy in his face. He had to change his delivery to throw an accurate ball for a touchdown. So I thought he did a lot of those small things well and really. Sh- like I thought he elevated his game and despite the defense lacking to say the least I thought you know this is going to be a good game to show for his draft stock and going to Dylan Gabriel man he like you can't say enough good things about Dylan Gabriel to be honest like there's there's nothing on him on why they lost their game I mean he set what American conference record for over 600 yards I mean it's kind of it's almost like blasphemous that a quarterback can throw for 600 yards and lose especially coming from a quarterback like that's kind of insane uh, it's kind of like, I know we, we, you mentioned, you know, talk about what he did well. It's almost like what didn't he do well? You know, he was 30, 35 of 49, over 600 uh, yards passing. He even had 49 yards on the ground and a, and a rushing touchdown. So I just thought he showed a complete package. And so last last year, you know, Gabriel gets this wrapped, a great deep ball thrower. Of, of course, we agree. This year, he's throwing the deep ball just as well. But I think he's hitting kind of his intermediate throws and his quick slants I think he's doing a better job that doing that as well which of course is opening up the deep ball but man both these guys there's really no negatives to take away you could say Brady White started started off kind of slow but then came back fast Uh, I mean from a quarterback perspective so fun from someone who had money on UCF minus two and a half not so fun but uh we won't dive into that too too much Eric want to emphasize for anyone who may be listening that is steve who had money on this game i do not bet as a journalist uh steve really quick what do you make with this statement 
Dylan Gabriel reminds me of Tua Tungavaloa without necessarily the arm talent, but as everything else. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's I don't hate it, you know. Um, I mean, it's it's hard not to. The the only thing you can probably not Gabriel is he's going up against American conference defenses and Tua is going up SEC conference defenses. But besides that, very similar style, similar athletes. Tua probably has the better arm, but both both like are smooth, have smooth deliveries and, um, you know, are very calm and, and, and collective under pressure. So that's, that's probably a pretty good comparison, Eric. Going to go to the Sun Belt before we finish up with Conference USA. And one thing I definitely want to take a look at is uh, we've talked about these guys. I, I, I Steve, I'm, I don't know if there's another way to put a spin on this, but Logan Hatcher, Lane Bonner, uh, it, it, it's the never-ending saga. And then Cornelius Brown. Uh, we are eventually going to have to do like a full-on deep dive on him. You, you said off-air that he reminded you of Vince Young in a way. And, you know, the comparison is it's easy to make. Tall, kind of lean quarterback. You know, uh, definitely a good athlete. But – that to me was one of the best games in uh, of the weekend, primarily, mm-hmm. not just in some in, in the Sun Belt. So, Logan Bonner, Lane Hatcher, part six, and uh, Cornelius Brown. Have take it away, Steve. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, it's, it's, we've talked about Bonner and Hatcher every episode, but you know, until they give us reason not to, I guess we'll keep talking about it. Seven combined touchdowns last week. They had six combined touchdowns. Granted, it was against FCS uh, opponent. Uh, but, you know, when, when I've been one saying I think they need to go with someone, pick with someone, stay with him, and roll with him, and they, they proved me wrong here. So they got App State coming up next. So I still think at some point you got to roll with someone. But I guess until then, uh, you know, they, they're probably going to keep doing what they're doing. they got stud receivers. And then when it comes to Cornelius Brown, I mean, how fun is he to watch? Like, tall, lanky, he, he does remind me of Vince Young. Maybe it's because, you know, I'm a Houston guy. Vince Young was a high school legend in Houston, Texas legend, all that stuff. So that's a, a name that comes to mind. But five total touchdowns, 314 yards passing, 83 yards rushing. And the the, the first rushing touchdown, excuse me, the first rushing touchdown he had was just – was just pure athleticism and and just just, just kind of awe and maybe your jaw drop. It's uh, we got a, a QB spotlight of that run uh, coming soon. And I don't know if I can't remember if we put that up or not, but he's someone that I, I expect we'll be talking about a lot on the pod. And I've said this in the in kind of our QB spotlight articles and even on the pod before that the Sun Belt is pretty loaded at the quarterback position. And as a as a quarterback biased uh, fan, if you will, that pumps me up. So. Steve, so we're not kind of spinning our wheels about Logan Bonner and Lane Hatcher. Yeah. I'd kind of asked this a couple of weeks ago, and I want to revisit it now. It's a two-part question. One, do you believe that they can continue to play two quarterbacks and be successful? A. B, is there enough of a variation between what both quarterbacks do in that it'll allow for success in the offense? And I'm going to, before I allow you to answer, to make the point, I'm going to make this point, excuse me. I think... We kind of get caught up in the runner versus passer dynamic, right? So if you look at FIU, and we'll talk about them uh, in a second, they've got Max Bordenschlager, Stone Norton, Kalen Wiggins. Kalen Wiggins is the runner. The other two are passers, right? Is there not a benefit? And I'm trying not to answer the question for you. So hopefully you remember the first two things I asked you. Is there not a benefit in having two guys who are similar? Because in that sense, the offense doesn't change. Right. Yeah, so let's uh, – so we – the second uh, part of the question, I think they're very similar. And the first part, uh, when you know, just for the listeners, when you asked, 
can they keep the success going? If you asked me a few weeks ago, I would say no, but there's a little more shaky ground. I think coming off such a successful game like this, it's easy to say yes. Uh, but I might, man, I think it'll be difficult to keep it going. But, you know, if, if they can do what they did last game, then, then the answer would be yes. But I, I, I'll plead the fifth in a way and say it's possible, yes, but I still think it's going to be difficult for the whole season just to have to, to switch out between those two guys. But you do make a good point that the offense doesn't change when either guy gets put in. But at the same time, the counter argument to that, well, is – well, there's got to be at least one of them. If there's similar style quarterbacks, there's got to be at least one guy that elevates the play more than the other guys. Uh, but apparently, you know, from the coaching staff and from last game, they're, they're both very similar and even. I'm glad I don't, I don't have to make that decision, but uh, th- that will probably play itself out down the road. Again, we should probably do more show prep because usually the show prep consists of me and Steve enjoying some of his fine whiskey, which I'm sure he has no need for now that he's a parent. Steve, the reason I say that is this. Can you think offhand, and I I hate putting you on the spot like this, can you think offhand of the last successful two-quarterback rotation? Being a Floridian, my mind always goes to when I was a kid, Doug Palmer, um, uh, Doug Doug Johnson, Jesse Palmer. Um, I feel like there's something, someone obvious that I should be missing, that I'm just missing here. But, oh, Leak, Leak and Tebow. Um, Can you think of, and, and, you know, obviously those are at the SEC level. Um, I'm trying to stall here and kind of give some time to think, but I can't think of a – successful full-time rotation, not a guy like a Tebow who comes in and provides a different dynamic. Can you think of anyone right. offhand? Not really. If you want to go way back old school uh, to like early 2000s, University of Texas with the major, major Applewhite and Chris Sims, that was sure. kind of back and forth. Eventually Chris Sims took over, but it was weird whenever he would struggle, they'd bench Sims, put in major Applewhite and he would, you know, nine times out of 10 lead him to victory. Um, I don't know if you, if you, if I can think of anyone where you see the rotation during the game. Uh, I think you can see rotations like one quarterback has started this game. Next quarterback starts this game. They kind of rotate that way. Kind of like the old school Texas tech has done in the past. And you had like Davis Webb and Michael Brewer and before Pat Mahomes really came along. Um, So I can't think of anything successful. I feel like, I feel like if I could, you know, I feel like if there were successful guys like that, then, you know, I'd be able to spit it out, right? Um, one that comes to mind, and uh, the names uh, slipped slip me, but Eastern Michigan a few years ago, I think Michael Glass the third. there's one other guy uh, that the name forgets, uh, slips my mind, but they're both actually pretty productive. And uh, it led Eastern Michigan to uh, an almost bowl win that they lost to Georgia Southern. I don't know how I remember that, but that was about two years ago. And shy words for Georgia Southern led him crazy comeback to win. Um, but to answer the question, no, I can't think of. Can you think of anyone? Honestly, I can't. I'm trying to do the research on the fly outside of the guys who I just mentioned. And I think this is a unique situation for Arkansas State. It may be one that we might have to do a deep dive just into how the offense looks between both guys. Because I do think the reason why this is able to work out for Blake Anderson in Arkansas State is because both guys are so similar. Uh, well, once again, we'll, we'll talk about FIU in a second, but I think when you have a runner and a passer, it's just harder to develop that continuity. And both guys at Arkansas State are equally proficient passers. It's not like they're both just passers. They're, they're both yep. solid passers, and right. that helps. you know. So, But as we transition into Conference USA, Steve, uh, Jason Bean, yeah. you know, I, that's someone who – Quite frankly, I even read Brett Vito, his article down there at the Denton Record Chronicle, 
uh, down there in Denton, Texas, covers does a phenomenal job covering Conference USA and specifically North Texas. Even he said in his piece that maybe they were too quick, they being, uh, you know, he and people cover the team, too quick to write off Jason Bean this quarterback competition. It looked like Austin Ani was going to have the job, and he comes out, Jason Bean does, and has a heck of a ball game. What did you see from him? I'll be, I won't you know, lie to you, Steve. I didn't see this type of athleticism. Granted, yeah. again, Middle Tennessee State defense, Scott yeah. Schaefer's unit has not stopped anybody uh defensively this year utsa may have been the best defensive performance but i didn't see this type of athleticism from jason bean yeah it's funny you say that like obviously you you take with a grain of salt but at the same time like he basically played a half of football and had five total touchdowns he led north texas 35 unanswered points had 180 yard, 180 something yards passing, 160 something yards rushing. That's all basically with a little over two quarters of football, two two quarters and change. Um, so he was an auto, automatic game changer. Got put in. They're down by two scores. Uh, Austinani had two picks, maybe a fumble too, if I remember correctly. And so you know, UNT is not in a good position. But immediately when he got put in, it changed. That the field opened up. There were deep shots taken. But you're right. His dynamic ability. Man, he was a dynamic athlete, um, and it really showed off that game. Uh, and not only that, but being able to push the ball downfield. And uh, he he, is an, he had an impressive pass to me. I can't remember if it was his first or, or second TD pass. Um, he had a guy in his face, and he had a deep post post uh, over the middle. And if he would have thrown a traditional pass uh, it was pretty decent coverage that the receiver did have a step on him but if he throws a traditional pass uh you know it was it, probably more likely to get knocked down but he he led the receiver to where there's open grass where there's green grass the receiver adjusted on the fly made the catch score a touchdown so that that right there just shows that he is that like that knack feel if you will to to, to be able to you know, put the ball where it needs to be put but dynamic athlete he was also like 12 or 17 passing so very efficient you know the offense has never really been the issue for North Texas, as every Conference USA fan knows. However, they only scored 21 points the the week before against Charlotte. So, and they only had 14 points against Middle Tennessee. Excuse me, with three turnovers before putting in Jason Bean. So, the offense wasn't looking great. So, you have to, as a UNT fan, you got to be excited for the potential Jason Bean has moving forward. Let's take a trip to Bowling Green, Steve. Kavaris okay. Thomas, the kid out of Lakeland, Florida, Lakeland Dreadnought, Lakeland High about 40 45 minutes up the road for me the highest rated recruit in the history of the western kentucky football program he makes his starting debut what did you see from him and i guess the best way to ask this question what did you see from him and how did the offense look in relation to piggy t tyrell pigram so honestly i thought the the offense looked the exact same or a bit worse and that's not a, a knock on on thomas uh this was for a start and He's only 16 to 35 throwing, pretty inefficient. UB's got a good defense. But the thing that, that, Pigram, that Pigram has that Thomas doesn't is that kind of dynamic ability. We both talked about Pigram's uh, athleticism, and it was, it's evident of why he was a you know a power five recruit. If Pigram's in there, you got to imagine the passing probably isn't much better. It's probably the same. Uh, but you're going to have more explosive plays from, from his legs at least. So I don't know what they're going to do moving forward. It was only his first start. They probably want to start him again to see if he can be developed. And uh, as you said, he was a high recruit coming out of high school. Um, but man, it's just a, that game was kind of just a, a lackluster performance from both quarterbacks, both completing under 50% of their passes. So um, man, yeah, it, it's, you would like to give, you'd like for him to have another shot too, but you know, 
Western Kentucky needs to needs to you know win some ball games. So uh, I I would assume each quarterback's going to have a short leash regardless who starts moving forward. Steve, I want to go ahead and dive in here really quick on Western Kentucky. Here's the thing, just from my perspective, that entire offense. When you lose guys like Jacor Pearson, you lose guys like Quinn Jernigan. You know, Joshua Simon looks really good, the tight end, and I think they're going to have a nice connection. Josh Simon, a really big athletic tight end out of Atlanta, but they lost a lot of talent on the outside. Lucky Jackson, of course, you know, that guy who was the main number one receiver there, Western Kentucky. And I think the whole offense has suffered. If you look at Gage Walker, Gage Walker was one of the best running backs in Conference USA last year, really breaking out. Looked like, you know, Tyson Held made the right decision moving him from defensive back where Mike Sanford the second had him. Uh, over to running back and the former East Bay star here in Tampa, uh, in Tampa area rushed for a thousand yards this year. He hasn't been able to get going. I think Gage Walker may have something like 120 yards rushing. So uh, to bring it around to the quarterbacks, you can't place it all on Piggy T. Now, granted, and I've been critical of Tyrell Pigram on this podcast saying that there are some throws that he's missed, some throws that I've seen that he's been behind guys. But the offense as a whole doesn't look right. I think that's a fair assessment, is it not, Steve? Yeah, no. I, th- I think I think you hit the you kind of just you know, hit, hit the nail on the head there. Um, and it's easy to get carried away, you know, blame the quarterback. But yeah, I think you're right. It's there. The offense isn't doing any quarterback any favors. Kind of what you're getting at. Let's head down to the 305, South Florida and Florida International University. The Panthers are 0 2. It's kind of hard to believe that the Panthers have lost two games by a total of five points. It's not like they've been blown out. You can make the argument they could have won both games. Yeah. Here's what I can say. If James Morgan had another year in Miami, there's probably 2-0 team. Steve, I want to let you take it away first before, you know, I think the best way to do this with me having covered the team or not having covered, having uh, covering the team currently. Uh, did, I, did I just make that past tense? I hope my bosses aren't listening. Um, Steve, what did you see in the, in, in the two games? I kind of asked you specifically to kind of take a look yeah. at the quarterbacks and uh, I'll just kind of shoot some questions your way as you go. Before I go in, Eric, you have to do one thing. You have to pronounce Max's last name for me. <laughs> sure thing. That is Max Bortenschlager. Bortenschlager. Okay. You are not the only one. Butch Davis, when he uh, – <laughs> Coach Davis definitely – he tends to speak uh, – he tends to be rather long-winded. And yeah. at times, you know, Butch has to take that breath and go, Bortenschlager, because, you know, he's going to be out of breath. He's got to pronounce it right. So, yeah, you're not the only one. It's uh, Max okay. Bortenschlager. Well, let me touch on him first because he's got the least amount of snaps. I actually think you just put a, put out an article kind of breaking down each quarterback, and I think you said, what, he only has 18 snaps or something at quarterback right now? Um, so I think yeah, – I think correct. is that right? Yeah. Okay. So so I'm just going to say Max because I'm, I'm, I'm not going to embarrass myself and butcher the last name. But um, So I think it's kind of an unfair assessment to – you know, plays too much, not bland, but just kind of a, a evaluation on him. He's got 18 snaps and has, I think, what, one completion. So I think those numbers for him, if he had more time playing, would, would kind of play itself out a little bit. So I'm going to talk about uh, Wiggins and, and, and Stone Norton here a bit. And kind of, I just watched both games as we kind of talked off air uh, before the podcast. And the, the reason, and the biggest thing in your article was, you know, yards per attempt. And, you know, Stone Norton had the only, uh, kind of uh, acceptable number, if you will, compared to the other two guys. And, and here's kind of the reason why. I think the offense is, is somewhat similar, at least that the limited you've seen with Max and Stone. Uh, you have like the normal concepts FI, FIU uses. You know, you might have like a, a curl to flat read with kind of a deep guy going deep. And, and Stone has just had more of the ability to 
to, to throw the deep ball. And, and, you know, the game against Liberty, they were kind of in a shootout, if you will, anyways. Obviously, they're, they're running the ball successfully, but uh, he had more opportunities to throw the deep ball. He connected early on a deep ball that kind of got him more comfortable compared to if you fast forward to, to, to Wiggins, who played the majority of the game um, against Middle Tennessee. Obviously, they were gashed from Middle Tennessee running the ball. Had over 200-something yards rushing. So that changed the game plan. And the game plan was different. There were kind of a, a few more jet sweeps and some RPOs that you used with, with Wiggins because he has the ability to, to run. But I still saw similar passing plays that I saw against Liberty. It was just Wiggins was – I don't know if he's trying to rely too much on his legs. If he's thinking too much, he was a bit hesitant to throw it downfield. And, and when he did throw it downfield, he had the interception at the end of the game, and he just kind of overthrew his receivers. And so I think not getting in a rhythm, he, he kind of shoots for – he kind of looks more for the, the shorter pass plays and, and kind of the, the, those concepts. So I don't think there's as huge as a difference as we think. Obviously, that there are more run plays for Wiggins when he's there. I think it's just you know having the the confidence to pull the trigger and let it rip downfield. Steve, really quick, I don't want to put words in your mouth here, but you know I, I've had a chance to talk to offensive coordinator Rich Skrowski in the offseason. One of the things that Coach Skrowski said is, "Hey, look, you know we got the offense we're going to run. I'm not going to run a thousand plays. I'm looking to rep a hundred plays really well, uh, as opposed to a thousand plays." You can summarize it however you want, it, but is it fair to say that they're running the same offense? Granted, like you said, you may see a few more RPOs, a few more maybe things to get the quarterback outside the pocket, but they run the same offense, whether it's Bortenschlager, Wiggins, or Norton. Is that correct? Absolutely. From, from what I've seen the two games, absolutely. Yep. All right. So here's the second question I got for you, and I kind of want to get into this so you know fans can understand. You don't have to be an FIU fan to understand this or, or, or to find this interesting. Steve, why is that number important, the yards per attempt? Can you just explain that for the layperson? Yeah, so I think yards per attempt, and again, it, it has changed over time as the passing game has kind of taken off, if you will. And generally speaking, that like seven-ish range is a pretty good number to shoot for. If, if a quarterback's at seven yards per attempt, that's probably going to be middle of the pack, which is good. And, you know, I, I think last year, I, I can't remember who led the college football. I think maybe it was two over 12 or, or something like that. Anyways, yards per attempt is going to open up the field and open up the playbook expand the playbook if your yards per attempt are four or five yards or six yards and it's you know pretty it's under average and the safeties are going to creep up they have no fear of the deep ball they, they have no fear of your passing game it's going to make it that much tougher uh to open up your offense compared to if my yards per attempt are nine even like 10 is fantastic but if, if they're above that seven eight range then they have to respect the deep ball even if you aren't completing all of them this just the fact you're taking shots of course you want to complete them but that's going to open up the field and when you open up the field, you open up the playbook. You're not as limited or, or, or restricted, and you have the defense has so much more to worry about compared to if you're just you know dinking and dunking or not pushing the ball downfield. I hope that answered the question uh, a little bit, and we could explain it to the listeners some. Yeah, last thing really quick, Steve. If you look at the interception, I'm sure you saw the interception that Kalen Wiggins threw. Pass was picked off by Miami native Gregory Great Jr. One of the reasons that this, this stat that Steve talked about is important is that if the ability is there to respect the downfield passing game, yes, Kalen did overthrow that ball, but Gregory Great was biting on everything that was inside, you know, underneath anyhow. There was no fear of anything over the top. And that kind of, you know, takeaway right there with the pick. Uh, last thing, Steve, before we transition to next week's games, from you know the quarterback perspective, we've talked about a lot about the two quarterback system. Three. Uh, <laughs> any thoughts on, on what's kind of going on here? Oh man, um, 
I mean, I, I know we talked a few weeks ago and I got in trouble for, you know, uh, assuming it'll be Stone Norton and rightfully so, because it wasn't him that started. But I mean, I think, I think three is a crowd, right? Would you, would you agree without, without questioning Butch Davis? Uh, I mean, look, I think Butch Davis would say that three is a crowd. If you ask, if you ask coach Davis, yeah. he's, he's not going to sit there yeah. and tell you this dream every morning to wake up and figure out, all right, I got to go between one, two or three guys, you know? So I don't think yeah. I, I would offend him or offensive corner of Rich Krosky in saying that. I, I I think at a certain point in time, though, you know, you know, we're entering the third game. If this Jacksonville State game is indeed played, where you're going to kind of have to at least shrink that down to two. Um, so I think yeah. that's the kind of the position we'll take there. But appreciate the thoughts as far as the FIU situation. Let's go and transition to week eight, Steve. Uh, Want to take a look at the Mountain West coming back this week. UNLV. Uh, who do you think? Is it going to be Justin Rogers? Yeah, so, man, one, I'm stoked for the Mountain West to come back. I know it's not a conference that we necessarily spotlight or write about, but we're definitely – we'll be, you know, talking about them on the podcast. And Justin Rogers, so the transfer from TCU, who uh, was a huge recruit and uh, kind of had some knee injury – had a knee injury that was pretty serious that um, kind of pushed him back a little bit. So he transferred, and they released their depth chart today. And you know how teams will have, like, so-and-so or so-and-so where it's not like an established starter and that's what UNLV did so they had Kenyon Oblod I believe one other guy who I forget who has some playing time than Justin Rogers so I would assume it's him just from a talent standpoint he's he's an elite elite athlete elite thrower I believe from Bossier City uh, Louisiana which uh, I got family down in in Louisiana so got some Cajun in me but um I would assume it's it's him moving forward, and man, the Mount. We're just I'm just happy the Mount West is back, and we got some some more quarterbacks to add to our uh, our convo here in QB Spotlight. Okay, Bobby Boucher, that will call me off guard. I got a little Cajun in me. <laughs> that aside, uh, let's uh, let's transition to the American uh, mm-hmm. UCF versus Tulane. Uh, that's got to be an interesting one to watch. You know, kind of the the established. Probably best quarterback in the American, Dylan Gabriel, going up against a young pup in Michael Pratt. And also Memphis and Temple. Both of those games should be interesting to watch, right? Yeah, I think so. I think for, I think it's, I think both UCF and more Memphis than UCF, but I think both those teams are coming off such like huge emotional games where, you know, it, it, it was emotional roller coaster. And now you got to get back up and get ready and prepare to play uh, a Tulane team and a Temple team that are coming for you, you know, that, that, that are ready for this game. So, um, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if one of these, if UCF or this because it's 2020 and the way college football works, if UCF or Memphis got tripped up, I don't think UCF uh, is likely. I don't think that's likely to happen. UCF just because they lost and they're going to want to make a statement. But uh, you know, I would expect I would expect a good game from from Tulane and, and Temple, and uh, you know, UCF and Memphis. Should should bring their uh, the offensive power that they had last week. What what, uh, what do you have on that being kind of a, the UCF and an American guy? Well, uh, the biggest thing actually for me isn't necessarily whether or not the team is going to be able to respond. It's whether they can keep the themselves uh, keep the cohesion. And you saw the way that UCF Memphis game yeah. ended. I, I have not seen anything. I've been reading Brian Murphy's articles and Matt Merchell and the guys up there in the Orlando Sentinel. Looks like Quadri Jones. Once again, this is speculation. I have not heard anything, but. It, looked, it appeared as if Quadri Jones was going over to kind of settle down the kicker who we saw was distraught. You know, he was punching everything in sight, and and that's what it appeared from the three-second clip we saw. But I have not heard anything since. Well, But that aside, uh, it didn't look good on TV. So uh, I think that's UCF's biggest thing is kind of bringing that whole thing together as uh, a team more than anything else. Um, but, yeah, Steve, uh, as far as the American goes, I'm definitely looking forward to seeing how Brady White comes out again. 
he is someone who I was a big fan of coming out of high school. Thought he'd be the guy to kind of, you know, make it happen at Arizona State. And I got to be happy for his success. I mean, getting his doctorate, you know, he can come back next year. You know, Brady White would probably break every passing record there is in, in the history of uh, uh, the American because he's been around so long. So that'll be interesting to see. But, Steve, as we transition, we've got a full slate in Conference USA. So I'm going to kind of run down a couple matchups here. Here's a yep. reason why I'm doing this. Rice in Middle Tennessee State. This will be Rice's debut. And I know I'm putting you on the spot, but it appears as if the TCU transfer Mike Collins uh, yep. is going to get the start. Just in general, because we've talked about Rice essentially being a quarterback away. Granted, they just lost Brad Rosner, who's chosen to opt out, and he was their big play guy. Still have uh, Aaron Trammell, Austin Trammell. I always do that. Still have Austin Trammell left at receiver. Um, any any thoughts at all on Mike Collins? Or, or am I putting you on the spot? No, 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 no. I've seen him. So he played a little bit at, at TCU and was kind of just, you know, the past year or so TCU had a few guys at quarterback kind of just, you know, eh, here and there. But I think I think this offense would probably suit him a little bit better because they're not going to rely on him. You know, they want to control the clock. They want to run some. So uh, going up against Middle Tennessee, that probably favors Rice, even though it's their first game. You know, they're going to be well coached. They're going to run the ball. Uh, so if he can just complete some passes and make sure the safeties don't creep up, I think that's all you ask from Michael Collins, especially going up against Middle Tennessee, which you would you would hope you can run the ball against. Steve, I'm shooting you a nice little quarterback matchup here. Southern Miss heads to Lynchburg, Virginia, and Liberty. Jack Abraham, Malik Willis. I know you're going to get some eyes on that one, right? Oh, 100%. Man, Southern Miss, so kind of a rough start to the season, even though I know they, they bounced and beat UNT the, the other week. So uh, Jack Abraham, can you get the ball to your speedy receivers? But, man, Malik Willis is fun to watch. Just beaten, uh, They just beat Syracuse. For Southern Miss to have a chance, Jack Abram has to be on point every quarter, but I expect Malik Willis to continue doing what he's doing, run the ball, throw the ball, and not be stopped. Guess what? You got one more risk. We gave, I gave you a good quarterback matchup. I'm going to give you a really good game that okay. I think we might both have to watch start to finish. Well, you'll be able to watch it. I'll be at FIU if the game uh, goes off. Friday night, Louisiana upset, heading to UAB. Do they have a chance? Got a little Sunbelt CUSA matchup here. Definitely got a decent little quarterback matchup there. Uh, yeah, man, that's going to be a good game. Yeah, Should so, no, I, I agree. And, you know, Levi Lewis is a guy we like a lot who has struggled here and there, especially the past few weeks. Even against Coastal Carolina, he made some real good plays, but, you know, had that interception when he floated the ball that put Coastal in a good position to score. So, uh, you're looking for him. You're looking for Louisiana to bounce back from that loss. And bef before Coastal, like, they barely beat Georgia State, barely beat Georgia Southern. So, uh, you know, you're looking for Louisiana to come in and, and, and UAB, you know, solid defense. And the question at the quarterback position is, can they be more efficient? I think uh, Lucero was under was under 50% completion percentage. And um, I, I still don't know if, if TJ3 is or when or if he's coming back, like what the situation is going to be. So that's something kind of interesting to follow. But you're right, should be a good game, good Friday night matchup. As always, you can find this podcast at QB Spotlight on Twitter. You can find me on Twitter at Eric C. Henry underscore for all things Conference USA slash Underdog Dynasty slash FIU content. You can find Steve on Twitter at Steven, S-T-E-V-E-N, Hamner, H-A-M-N-E-R. Uh, he will respond when he's not trying to snag a few minutes of sleep. Uh, as always, you can find this podcast, podcast.apple.com. Search QB Spotlight. Please, the only way we can help this thing grow is through reviews. We take all feedback, positive, negative, or otherwise. And the article should be out later today at underdogdynasty.com, your home for G5 football content. That's the home where you get the in-depth written article from my man himself, the guru, Stephen Hamner. Thank you guys for listening, and we'll chop it up again next week.